Good morning, everyone. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, I'm so excited that we are kicking off our Advent series this morning. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be taking a look at passages in the Old Testament that prepare our hearts for the coming of the King. Even as you heard in our vision cast, as we are, um, as we're thinking about and considering what it means that Jesus is the global King of Kings, we're going to be tracing this story from passages in the Old Testament. And the truth is, Second uh, Samuel chapter seven is a passage that we can't miss if we want to understand what it means that Jesus is our King. And I just want to invite you to think about it. You'll hear it in Christmas carols over the next couple of weeks. We even sang one as you were walking in. Noel, born as the king of Israel. Or joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Or hark the herald angel sing glory to the newborn king. Why all this talk of Jesus being the king? Where does that come from? The truth is it it traces all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so my hope is by the end of our time, if this passage doesn't stand out to you as the launch pad of God's promise to his people that he would send a king, um, that you will walk out of here saying, ah, I see where this started, and I see that God is a God who fulfills his promises. But before we dive into this text, I also want to just help our hearts come around this idea of kingdom building. Because the truth is, David, at this point in his story, is in this season where he has been building his kingdom. God has brought him through so much. He has accomplished great military victories in 2 Samuel chapter 5 against the Philistines. And in chapter 6, he brings the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord back to Jerusalem. King David is winning. Like he is at the top of his game right here, and God brings him to a place and a season of rest. And David, maybe like some of us in the room, has a difficult time resting. David doesn't know what to do with downtime. He is really good when it's time to fight battles, and he is busy, and that's where he is uh, comfortable. But now he comes to this place where it's time to rest, and King David is restless. He's ready for the next project. He's ready for the next big thing. And I wonder for all of us, before we dive into this passage, if we can just consider how our hearts can relate to David right here, where we are all good at kingdom building, whether we know to put words to it or not. Every one of us in this room is building something right now with our lives. We, we're building our careers or we're building our resumes because we're going through this season of training and education or we're building a family or we're building uh, a marriage or we're building a, a friendship or a relational network. We know what it is to build and to be working towards building something great. And what David is going to see right here, what God's going to reveal to him is, David, I am building my kingdom. I'm building my kingdom, and it does not depend on your activity. But it does depend on my fatherly desire to give and my son's desire to obey. And what David's going to realize by the end of this passage where God makes his covenant promises to him, David is going to come to this place of prayerful courage. 
And it's my prayer for every one of us that we will leave our time this morning with hearts that are full of courage and that heart, hearts that are full of prayer and praise because of God's love that he has set on us. So come with me on this journey through 2 Samuel 7. We've got our work cut out for us, as you heard uh, from the reading. Um, and I'm going to do my best to uh, get you guys out of here on time, especially for the sake of the children over there. So we could be here for hours, but I'll keep it to 30 minutes. So here we go. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Take a look with me at verses 1 through 3. It says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now let me pause. I just want us to see what's going on here. David is noticing that there is something wrong. Because in spite of everything that he has accomplished, he's recognizing he's in this time of rest that God has provided for him. And he realizes, I live in this beautiful cedar wood palace. You can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 5 when this palace was built for him. But God still lives in a tent. And he doesn't even actually bring his request precisely to Nathan. He just points this out to Nathan. And Nathan, the prophet, knows what he's saying. And he says, David, you're on a roll, bro. Just go for it. Do all that is in your heart. You've been winning at everything you've been doing. And this is a good desire before we're too hard on David. He has a good desire here. But what's so striking if you've been tracking with David's story is he doesn't inquire of the Lord. He never really asked God if this is something that God would like for him to do for him. He's just taking it upon himself and taking the initiative saying, well, I'm kind of good at kingdom building. I've been doing this for myself, and so I'm going to go ahead and build a house for God. If you, if you were to read back through 2 Samuel 5, you'd see that David, when, when his life is busy, when he's in the thick of the battle, he inquires of the Lord and says, Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? And the Lord says, yes, go up. I'll give them into your hand. Or then later he says, Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines now? And he says, no, I want you to wait. I want you to actually go around by the balsam trees and then I'll give them into your hand. And David's really good at listening to the Lord's voice when life is busy. But then when it's a time of rest, he just takes it upon himself to act. David is restless and prayerless in this moment. And I wonder if any of us can relate. I know that I can. And look at Nathan too. Nathan actually forgets to inquire of the Lord as well. They're just saying, hey, this is a good idea. Let's just go for it. But I want us to see in verses 4 through 7 the Lord's response. He's revealing to David, my kingdom will not be built on your restless, prayerless activity. I've got it under control. I'd love to use you, but I don't need you, David. And look at what he says here. This is how he says it. That same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I've moved with the people of Israel, did I speak a word with, with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now I want us to hear the Lord's heart in this. I don't think he's trying to be, he's not being hard on David. He's not being, uh, he's not belittling him. I think it's more like this. Uh, if you were to talk to my five-year-old son, Case, about what he wants for Christmas, Case would go on and on about Legos, because he considers himself a master builder of Legos. 
and, uh, and it's, it's on every birthday list, every Christmas list. And if you walk into Case's room, some of you that are in our house church or others that have been over to our house, you've probably been shown Case's Lego kingdom, his empire that he's building. And, uh, and I was just imagining it this way. If Case came to me over the next couple weeks and said, hey, Dad, I've been trying to think of what you want for Christmas. You know, I have all of these Legos here, and I've noticed you don't have any Legos in your house, like in your room. There's just nothing there. So I was thinking, I'm going to take my piggy bank, and I'm going to buy some Legos for you. My response in that moment would not be like harsh. It'd be like, oh, that's, that's so thoughtful, buddy, that you wanted to buy me Legos. But the thing is, I actually don't need any Legos. Like, I'm good. And furthermore, I actually love to give Legos to you. Like, I'm your dad, and I love to give to you. It delights my heart to give. I have everything I need. And I, I hear that in the Lord's response to David. He's saying, hey, that is, that's great, buddy, that you want to build a house for me. But the thing is, I'm good. Like, I've been traveling with the people of Israel. I've been traveling with my people in a tent. I'm really low maintenance. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm holy, and I cannot be in the presence of sin. So there's all these specific requirements for how the camp has to pick up and travel and how I travel with my people. But, like, I'm okay with camping. I don't need a, a cedarwood palace like you do, David. And I wonder if some of us need to hear this because we have great desires in our hearts to do these big things for God. And I think what he would say is, I love the desire, but I need you to remember that I'm the one building. I'm the one building my kingdom. It doesn't depend on your restless, prayerless activity. It will surely be accomplished, but, but if you can come alongside that and you can remember who I am and that I delight to give to you, I'd love to use you in my kingdom-building mission that I'm on. And so God comes to David and says, David, my kingdom-building mission does not depend on your restless, prayerless activity, but here's what it does depend on. Did you hear it in verses 8 through 11? It depends on God's father heart, his desire to give. And so let's, let's take a look at verses 8 through 11. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts. Notice the, the repetition there. You know, Nathan's probably like, yeah, I said you should go for it earlier, but I actually have to take that back. This is what God actually says. So here you go, David. This is what the Lord has to say about this. He says in verse 8, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel, and I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies moreover the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house so let's rewind the tape here. David comes to Nathan and says, "Hey, I live in this beautiful cedarwood palace. The ark of God's dwelling in a tent." The implication David's saying, "I want to build a house for God." And God says, "David, that's really thoughtful of you. But actually, I'm going to build a house for you. I don't need a house." Solomon, who 
would end up building the house for the Lord, which we're going to get to in just a moment, when he builds the temple and dedicates it, he says, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. And God's saying, David, I don't need your house, but I want you to know that I want to give to you. That's how this relationship works. All I'm asking of you is to receive, is to open your heart to me. I'm just asking you to trust me and to allow me to love you. Do you hear the heart of the Father here? Infinitely more than I want to give Case Legos, our Heavenly Father wants to give us himself. He wants to give us his presence. He wants to give us his spirit. And don't you hear echoes of Jesus' teaching even in this passage here? I mean, as David is sitting here listening to the Lord saying, I want to give these things to you. I want to give these things to you. God is recounting his faithfulness to David. He's saying, remember our relational history. Remember that I took you from when you were sitting in the grass watching sheep and getting ready to, once they were done grazing, to take them to find water. I was with you then, and I loved you then, before you did all these impressive things that you just accomplished over the past couple chapters of your life. And I'm with you now, and I love you now, even not because of all the great things you've done, but just because you're mine. Do you hear the Father's desire to give? Think about what we just got to study over the past couple months in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is teaching us about prayer, and he says, what father among you, if his son asks for bread, is going to give him a stone? Like, your Father loves to give to you. How much more will the Heavenly Father give good things, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Our Father loves to give to us. And you know, when David hears this from God, when he hears God kind of put this play on words with house, I think it stops David in his tracks. Because he had this great idea of, oh, this is how God's kingdom is going to be established in the land. I'm going to build this temple for him, this house for him. And God says, actually, I don't need a palace, but I want to build for you a family, a lineage, a dynasty. He's about to make this promise that we call the Davidic covenant in these next couple of verses. But I think David is still hung up on the fact that God said, hey, remember when you were just a young man and you were sitting down in the grass? I've been with you from that point and I love you. And I'm actually the primary actor in your story. I am the hero of your story, David. And watch what I'm about to do. I'm gonna build a house for you. This is how my kingdom moves forward in the world. So let's look at it in verses 12 through 17. This is kind of the heart of this passage. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So here's what God, God is saying here. 
He is saying, I'm going to establish your house, your lineage. And even when we hear that language of, of this promise God's making in verses 12 through 17, we realize that like this question arises in our mind, is he talking about Solomon or is he talking about Jesus? And of course, the answer to that is yes. Because there's, there's this near-term partial fulfillment of this promise coming with David's heir, Solomon, who's going to build this physical house for God. He's going to build the temple. David's going to help make the preparations for it, but Solomon's going to be the one who builds the house for the Lord. And Solomon, whenever he starts talking about in verse 14, when he commits iniquity, it's like, oh yeah, that sounds like Solomon, right? If you've read Solomon's story, it's like, okay, that brother committed some iniquity. Like everything that God told the kings not to do, Solomon ended up doing. He married foreign wives who led his heart astray, who uh, led him to worship idols, who, and he accumulated all these possessions, and his heart grew proud, and he disregarded God. God said, that's exactly what I have told the kings not to do. And Solomon was disciplined. I mean, it's, it's just one generation after him, his son Rehoboam foolishly, um, as a result of his folly, the kingdom splits into the northern and the southern kingdom. And we just see that if you follow Solomon's journey and everything that comes after it, we're left wanting, saying, where is the true son of David? How is God going to fulfill this promise of his kingdom, his throne being established forever? And it's, it's that longing that's hanging in the air during the 400 years of silence before Jesus steps on the scene. And everyone's asking, could this be the son of David? I mean, think about it. If you read through the Gospels, you hear people saying, whenever Jesus is traveling from town to town, you hear people saying, son of David, have mercy on us. They're saying, we're waiting for God to fulfill his promise all the way back here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Because did you hear what God said? Did you see the emphasis up there? We saw that word forever in verse 13 and forever two times over in verse 16. It's at this point that we see, man, if this if this passage were a river, it's just overflowed its banks if we're talking about Solomon. Because Sol the end of Solomon's story and the lineage of David leaves us wanting, saying, where is the true king? Our hearts ask the question, just like the people of Israel when they originally asked for the king. They said, there shall be a king over us. We want a king. Give us a king, Samuel, that we may be like the nations all around us. And God says, give them what they want, because the truth is, they haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me as their king. They want to be like the nations rather than allowing me to be the one that fights their battles, that leads them to victory, that rules over them. And friends, it's Jesus and Jesus alone who could fulfill this promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12 through 17. He is the one who fulfills what is said in verse 14. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 5 says this is actually talking about Jesus, the true son of David. And so I want to invite us to consider how it is that Jesus 
is the truer and better son of David. You know, what's, what this promise hinges on, theologians will ask the question, is this covenant, this promise God makes to David, is it conditional or is it unconditional? Like, doesn't it hinge on the obedience of the son? And the truth is, Jesus is the one who came and he said, oh God, I desire to do your will. Your law is within my heart. Jesus is the son who perfectly obeyed and he fulfilled all of the conditions of God's covenant to David. In fact, he fulfilled all of the conditions of all of God's covenant promises that he made. He's the answer to all the riddles. He's the one who fulfills all these conditions and obeys in our place so that we can be loved unconditionally. So that God can say of you and me, you are my beloved child with whom I'm well pleased because you have been identified with my son by faith in him. Do you see how beautiful this promise is? And, and before we move on from this point, I just... I just want to invite us to ponder this beautiful theme of kingship. We're going to be, over the next four weeks, continuing to drive this home. But I just want to invite us to consider, what was the role of the king? And how does Jesus fulfill that? You see, the king's role, the king's role was to embody the Torah, to embody God's law, to be a leader for the people where they can look and see, hey, what is God's rule and reign like? Well, let's look at our king. And Jesus is the only one who can carry that weight. He's the only one who can show us the holiness of God because he is God's very son who never sinned. But the other thing that the king does is he represents the people to God. So he represents God to the people and that even the nations will look and see what is God like. Well, let's look at the king of Israel. But he also represents the people to God, where God looks at the king and says, his behavior is going to determine how I treat all of these people. And do you see that Jesus is the king that we all long for? Like we are all functionally setting up people and other uh, heroes as our king. I mean, think about how many Netflix shows have something to do with a king or a queen or a, a monarch. Think about how our hearts are just constantly raising up kings. This basketball player, we'll call him the king. This, uh, you know, media star, we'll call this person a king. We can't help it. We, we're looking for someone to adore. And Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy. He's the only one who died for your sins. He's the only one who perfectly obeyed. He's the only one who loved you enough to come and rescue you. And when we, when this dawns on us that Jesus is the true king, that his life and ministry fulfilled everything that a king was supposed to be, that he modeled adherence to the law perfectly, and he portrayed the God of Israel to the nations, what that does in our hearts when we realize that God has loved us like that when he took us from the time in our life when we were just sitting in the field and he says, I've been there with you from that moment to this moment, that leads our hearts to a place of courageous prayer. Did you see it in verse 18? Look at what David does here. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house 
that you have brought me thus far. Can we just pause there for a moment? This might be what your heart needs more than anything else that I've said this morning. David goes in and sits in God's presence. And, you know, it's interesting. There's no other place in the Bible where somebody takes this particular posture before God. It's like he goes in and sits down Indian style before God, like a little kid, right? Just like when he was in the field and he was just kind of playing with the grass and waiting for the, you know, waiting for the sheep to be done grazing so he could lead them to water. He goes back to that time and that place where God set his love on him when his relationship with the Lord started. And even as this great military leader and this impressive king, he goes in and sits in God's presence and says, really, who am I? God, that you would be so faithful to me, that you would love me like you had, that you would forgive me of all of the times where I've turned away from you and tried to build my own kingdom, all the times where I've functionally worshipped other kings. You came for me, and you have been with me all along the way. Isn't that what our hearts do? We just sit in his presence and say, God, who am I that you would love me like this? And brothers and sisters, it's my prayer that over the next four weeks, that's the posture you will take before God. As you remember this story of his advent, his coming, that you would just sit, maybe like a little kid. a lot to learn from, from the kiddos, right? Just sit in his presence and enjoy the fact that he loves you. He doesn't need you to do anything impressive for him. He would love to use you, but only after you are... are in this place of just awe and gratitude and wonder and worship at who he is and how he's loved you? Would you sit in his presence over the next four weeks and remember his steadfast love? Remember that Christmas shows us that he's the God who keeps his promises, that he came once for his people and he will come again. He came to lay down his life and he will return to bring us home. And look at what David finishes with. I'm going to let you read the rest of this prayer as your homework, but let me just take a look at verses 25 through 27. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. I just want to invite you to consider the ways that God's calling you to courageous prayer in response to his love for you. You know, there's a psalm, Psalm 2, is one of the many places where this theme from 2 Samuel of God's promise to put a king uh, as one of his descendants on the throne forever. Psalm 2 is this coronation psalm for the Davidic king. And in this psalm, God says, you are my son. You are my king. You are the king that I have set um, on the throne my king reigns in Zion, is what God says. He says, you are my son. And he says, ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. And you see, the heart of someone who knows that God is king, not in a presumptuous way, not in an irreverent way, but in a way that knows that he has authority when he speaks, 
David understands this as a king himself. He knows that when God has said something, you can put your faith in his word that it will come true. And so David says, oh Lord, do as you have spoken. God, you have said that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. You feel far away right now, but I'm asking you, I'm praying, oh God, do as you have spoken. God, you have said that there is no one who is too far away. You're the friend of tax collectors and sinners. You came to seek and save the lost. Oh God, do as you have spoken. In my life, in the life of these people around me that I love, that I'm praying for, maybe a family member, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker. oh God, do as you have spoken. And even as we are preparing our hearts for the fact that the king came and he will come again, And there will be worshiping before his throne, people from every tribe and tongue and people and language. Would you take this prayer upon your lips and on your heart, say, oh God, do as you have spoken. Your kingdom alone is worthy of my life. Your kingdom is the one that I want to be a part of building. I'm laying down all of my building projects and I'm saying, Lord, I am just in awe of your love and I'm available to be a part of your work. Oh God, do as you have spoken. May it be true that we're a people of courageous prayer in light of the fact that our Father loves us. He loves to give good gifts to His children and His Son has made a way for sinners like us to be forgiven. Jesus came and He obeyed in all the places where we have failed and He died on the cross and rose again. By faith in Him, we are children of God. Would you receive that good news? Would you renew your trust in Him? And would you long for his return? Amen? Let me pray for us.